We need a good, overwhelming downpour. Not just a shower or a sprinkle. We need a downpour. One of those what they used to call Indiana toad stranglers. You had to be from the Hoosier land to appreciate that. Praise the Lord. What a privilege it is to have each and every one of you here with us this morning. We're delighted for your presence, and we're so delighted for the presence of the Lord that is here in this place today. But then he always is. He said, we're two or three are gathered together in my name. There will I be in the midst of them. Amen. 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 I invite your attention this morning to the 122nd Psalm. I would like to read verse number one before we pray. Get into the word of the Lord this morning. I come to this pulpit today with a very, very heavy burden for the word on my heart as the Lord has given it to me. I pray that you will receive what I have to say this morning in the spirit in which it is intended. You will allow the spirit to speak to your heart as the word goes forth today. We are encroaching upon a very, very critical time. And not only our individual lives, but collectively as the church, as a nation, as the world as a whole. And my prayer is above all things, above and beyond my own wishes and my own desires and my own hopes, and that is that the will of God is accomplished in all things. Even if it's a Contrary to what I like, whether it's contrary to what I think is the real expectations, my prayer is that God's will would be done. And my prayer is also that this nation as a whole comes to their collective senses and gets their head out of the sand and wakes up and recognizes blessed is the nation. Blessed is the nation whose God, whose Lord is the, whose God is the Lord. Amen. The psalmist declared in the first verse of the 122nd Psalm, I was glad when they said unto me, or when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad. Amen. Everybody glad this morning? Amen. Amen. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you today again for this privilege and opportunity that has been granted to us to come together here this morning and for this short space of time to worship you and to exalt you and to lift up your name. Lord, as we come to this portion of the service, to the breaking of the bread of the word of the Lord, I pray that you'll anoint these lips and this mind of your servant and vessel today, that we might speak as your oracle and nothing more and nothing less, that we might be transparent before you and this your people, that, Lord, they will hear and see you in every word that is proclaimed here today, and I will give you the thanks and the praise for it all. It is in the name of Jesus that I do ask it. And everyone said in Jesus' name. What I'd like for you to do is look at somebody around you or around the building somewhere and tell them the church is still relevant. 
the church is still relevant. Amen. I'll say it with passion and conviction. The church is still relevant. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus concerning their place and, and involvement within the church of the body of Christ, declared this, which is applicable for you and I today as we find recorded in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. And Paul penned these words, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, everybody say the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are being built together, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Amen. First and foremost, let's understand what the church is not. Although this physical location, this building that we worship in, has been dedicated to the Lord for His work and done so many, many years ago, and service as a body of people collectively, it, in and of itself, is not the church. Remove the congregation of God's people from this place and you have nothing more than a beautiful building. Everybody all right with that? If you're not, you can get saved before you leave here today. Amen. You see, it is the people of God that are a part of this that make up the church. Now, I'm not attempting to take away from the, the dedication and from the idea that we have and from the uh, mindset that, yes, we come together here and, yes, the presence of the Lord meets us here and, yes, we worship Him here. But the reality of it is that you are the body of Christ and members in particular, Paul said. Amen? And the church was not called to be a social club. It was not called to be a mere place of social gathering where we exchange ideas and thoughts and this and that and one thing and another. But the church was designed to proclaim God's Word. Amen. Amen? With that being said, let me ask you the first of two questions that I would like to submit to you this morning at this point for you to ponder a little bit while I'm preaching for the next few moments. Why go to church? Why go? If it's not a social club, if it's not a place where we can go and just kind of entertain one another and make one another feel good, why go to church? And the second question being, do you love God's house, which is the church? Or rather, do you or don't you love the church? If not, you should. Amen? Because it's the body of Christ. It is within the structure of the church that you can hear God's Word explained. Amen. 
You can find strategies and solutions for living. Amen? You can discover and develop and deploy your spiritual gifts in a nurturing environment within the church. Amen? You can form relationships that will strengthen and sustain you in the hard times within the makeup of the church. Amen. Where else could you go and find all that? Now listen carefully to this passage. And did you know before I get to this passage that Jesus went to church regularly? Amen. In fact, Luke chapter 4 and verse 16 declares, So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, say that with me, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Ha! Huh, he went to church. At least every Sabbath day. Of course, we know from studying the New Testament and studying the Gospels, he went a lot more than that. In fact, them fellows had church about every day, somewhere, someplace. Amen? The disciples were also regular church goers. Oh, really? Yeah, Acts chapter 4, or Acts chapter 2 and verse 46 says, So continuing daily, and this is right after the birth of the, birth of the church, so continuing daily with content, continuing daily? With one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house. Yeah, it says in the temple. That's right. That's church, by the way. Breaking, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Now, I suppose that throughout all the Bible, nobody loved God's house quite like the psalmist did. And I say that based on some of the things that David penned some of the songs, the courses that he wrote, and some of the passages that he, he wrote. Listen to how David described his love for the house of God in the 84th chapter of the book of Psalms. Verse 2 says, My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. You talk about passion within a statement. He said, my heart, my soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord, and my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Verse number 10, I noticed this. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wickedness. By the way, a doorkeeper was the lowest position in the rank of priesthood. He said, I'd rather be the door. I'd rather just stand there and greet the, open the door and greet folks and come in. <laughs> Amen. Yale University conducted a 28-year survey which found that people who go to church regularly, I emphasize regularly, are happier Enjoy better. This is not my survey now. This comes from Yale University. The heartbeat of all liberalism. <clears throat> Come out of my mouth. 
found that people who go to church regularly are happier, enjoy better health. They live longer than those who don't. Think about that for a moment. Just beyond the spiritual aspects and the spiritual benefit of coming to church. The survey of 28,000 older church attendees found that they had lower blood pressure. Now for those of you to fight high blood pressure, just quit going to church. You really be in trouble. Yes. Less stress and greater immunity to disease. But now this is a study that this university done of 28,000 older senior citizens. Excuse me. The, and the non-church goers in the survey had a shortened lifespan, roughly equal to that of cigarette smokers. One of the interviewers asked an 80-year-old woman who happened to be running on a treadmill at the time, Some of y'all ain't buying that, are you? It's true. It's true. Ask her what her secret was. She said, when you walk with God, you have purpose, so you live longer. And you have a peace, so you live better. Hallelujah. Now, if all that can be found in a pill, oh, I could get rich in a hurry. How much would our society pay for it? Bob, there's no telling what they would pay for something like that. And would anybody have to force you to take it? Oh, no. Absolutely not. And as the psalmist so aptly described, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You see, the church is still relevant. Long before the days of sighing, there was an old man who was stone deaf. He still attended church every week. One day a cynic asked him through the process of writing notes back and forth, why bother going when you can't hear anything? Smiling, he jotted down on his note and he replied, because I want people to know which side I'm on. It's time you let people know which side you're on. If nothing else, if you don't get a thing out of anything I preach or anything goes on right here, at least this time let folks know where you stand. Amen. For some, church is a place to get baptized. It's a place to get married and then after a few years buried Or perhaps better stated, it's a place for many people that has become hatching, matching, and dispatching. <laughs> hatching, matching, and dispatching. But let me tell you this, in seriousness, this is so much more than that to our Lord Jesus Christ. The church is His personal project. Amen? Movements come and go. Church names come and go. 
preachers rise and fall. Celebrities rise and fall and they come and go. Celebrity status within the quote-unquote church rise and fall. But Jesus said, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Amen. Gates of hell will not overcome it. Now I will be the first to admit it's not perfect. After all, we're members. That sounded nice, didn't it? And it doesn't always live up to its own standards. I'll be the first to admit. However, let me stress these particular factors to you if you don't mind. Well, I'm going to anyway. So, first of all, it's the only organization that still deals with the issues like salvation, like death, like judgment, like grace, like purpose, and with heaven and hell. The second thing is it adds value and dignity to human life. The church does. We live in a secular culture that contributes to our sense of inner worthlessness. The church, however, counteracts this negative message by preaching God's love and His acceptance. The third thing I want you to notice about the church and some particular factors is that it provides a moral and spiritual compass in a society that has lost its way profoundly. You see, society has revised, they have resisted, and they have rejected absolutes embracing relativism. For the most part, society has come to the point there's no real right and there's no real wrong. It's just kind of all fuzzy and gray. The Word of God does not support that mindset in one place. Amen. Just to give you an example of how lopsided society has become and this, and this mentality that has permeated our, our, our community, our world. I was, I was listening to a news broadcast earlier this week, and which I, I do quite regularly. And this interview, they were interviewing a lady there, and she had, she had been in to do her early voting. And, of course, obviously coming out, they were asking her the obvious questions. Who'd you vote for, and why'd you vote for them? And, you know, on and on and on the, the list went. And, and when they asked her why she voted for the particular candidate that she vo voted for, she said, uh, because if he, if he wins, I'll never have to, I won't have to worry about making my car payment again. I won't have to worry about my mortgage payment again. Because he's promised to make sure that the government will provide all of that. Friend, you think I'm kidding you. I, whew. It's a good thing I had a roll of duct tape in my truck. I had to duct tape my head back in place. That's the mindset and culture that our society has come to. It's not what we can contribute. It has come to a mindset. 
What can I give? And it's never been, nor shall it ever be, the government's responsibility to distribute wealth. That's my political statement for the year. I know, they'll probably hunt me down. That's right, they'll never find me. I stay moving too fast. You see, the true church, I mean the true church stands on the timeless bedrock of God's Word. As Brother Dave so eloquently and adequately mentioned this morning, and we change a lot of methods and we, we change things around to, to appeal to different folks, but the message of God's Word remains timeless and forever the same. There's another one you can write down in a book that I said. Remains the same. The next thing is, it's where you find compassion and healing and community is in the church. Amen? You see, we're all on the same ground here. Whether we're the pastor, whether we're the bishop, whether we're a preacher, whether we're a teacher, we're still all on the same ground. We all hold different offices, but we're still on the same ground. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. It's here that God's Spirit is working to knit us together as believers, guaranteeing us all, as the Apostle Paul penned so relevantly in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 18, for through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. I don't get to take this route, you don't get to take that route, and your route's easier because I'm this, or my route's easier because I'm that. By one Spirit, we all have access to the Father. Just one. Amen. The next thing is, unlike other institutions, it has motivated the most lasting, unselfish, essential, courageous endeavors on the earth. The church has. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, first of all, like missions. Thank God I was never called to the mission field. Schools, hospitals, food pantries, rehab centers, and orphanage, orphanages, just to name a few, have all been spawned by the love of the church. However, most important is the fact that Jesus Christ Himself is the head. Everything comes from Him, so in all things, Jesus has first place. Amen. Amen. It is time to be faithful to the Scriptures. Mm. I wish that was echoing across the world today. It's time that those who claim to be born again and know Jesus Christ as their Savior, to be faithful to the Scriptures and base everything they do, every decision they make, every time they pull the voting lever based on what thus saith the Word of God. Amen. Not somebody's opinion. 
Not somebody's distorted idea or theory of what the Word of God says, but what thus saith the Word of God. Not some man's far-out vision that he got off somewhere out here in the middle of... Well, I'll quit right now. But by the Word of God. Amen? So it's time to be faithful to Scripture. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy expressed love and commitment to the Word of God this way. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16-17, through 17, Paul writes, All Scripture, everybody say that, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, whew, for reproof, Ooh. Was doing good we got there, huh? For correction, for instruction in righteousness. Amen? That the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Can you say amen? The first lie ever told. How many of you remember telling your first lie as a child? You don't have to confess. I'm just curious. You all did at one time or another. The first lie ever recorded was the one that Satan told Eve when he said, God didn't really mean what he said. No, no, Satan. See, he said that if I eat of that tree, uh, boy, I'm in big trouble. No, he don't mean that. He just don't want you to eat that tree because if you do, you'll become smart as he is. That's why he's keeping you from that tree. Oh. No, but he said, no, you don't stand. He, see, he, he's, he's just telling you that because he wants to withhold some good thing from you. She bought it. Hooked the line and sinker. And he's still perpetrating that same lie today. Well, he's a merciful God. Well, he is. I'll assure you of that. That's why he clothed himself in humanity. That's why he walked the streets of and roads and trails and paths of Israel. That's why he donned himself in humanity and hung on the cross. Because of his great compassion and mercy for humanity. He is a merciful God. But he's a God of his word. As Brother David said this morning, you better understand, Israel, you either repent or else. Amen? Oh, Satan's still perpetrating that lie. We hear comments like, well, if you're sincere, you know, it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere about it. Really? What if your sincerity were whole? If your automobile brakes don't work, your sincerity won't stop that automobile. I don't care you. All you want to. My granddaughter took us to town yesterday. Her Mustang. And she's a good driver, but she don't know the big old dent I put in that right floorboard over there trying to stop that car. (laughs) 
Y'all don't tell her I said that way. She's not in here right this minute. Wore the carpet out over there. <laughs> How fast you going, girl? I'm stretching, trying to see the speed up. You can try to stop that automobile all you want to, and you're sincere to never stop it. But I tell you what, trees and buildings will. You'll be a mess when you get stopped, but they'll stop you. The second thing is we must be careful not to, you know, I hear, I hear this, oh, well, we, gotta be, we, we don't want to offend anybody. I mean, really, come on, Pastor, you can't, you know, how do you come off too awful rough? You know, sometimes you, we've we got to be careful not to offend you. Well, I agree, we shouldn't, but here, listen to me. What if people don't want to hear the truth or live according to it? I've run into those kind of folks. Should we just soften or edit the Scriptures based on what we think they can handle? If you love someone, and wouldn't you run in their room or interrupt their sleep or throw them out of bed or something to keep them from burning up inside the house if it was on fire? Well, I'd throw them through the window if I had to. Probably wouldn't be too happy when they got on the other side, but whatever I had to do, I'd sure if I loved them, I'd sure get them out. Or die trying. Listen. I wish I had time to go there, but, but I must move on. Remember what the Lord said to Ezekiel concerning the warning he was supposed to give to God's people. He said, Ezekiel, and I'll paraphrase this, make it quick. If I put words in your mouth and I tell you to go tell them thus, thus, and thus, and you don't, and they die in their sin, their blood is on your hands. If you warn them like I tell you to warn them and they don't pay any attention... Their blood's on their own hands because I have set you as a watchman over the house of Israel. You better tell them, Ezekiel, what I tell you to tell them. Because if you don't tell them the words that I warn you and they die in their sin, I'm holding you accountable. But if you warn them and they just... Oh, that old, that old man, he just... Just an old. <laughs> then their blood's on their own hands. Amen. I don't want anybody's blood on my hands. The church doesn't need anybody's blood on their hand. Next thing is there is truth. You know I. In fact, it wasn't too long ago I had somebody say this to me. My blood just ran cold. Oh, there's truth in the Bible, but all the Bible's not true. What? Well, I just come uncoiled. You, you, you just can't imagine how I was, I was worse than a big old rattlesnake. I just went off like, what do you mean? How do you explain the fact that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God? How do you get the fact that the Bible, the Word of God, is a living, breathing, it's a living organism, it's not something that's written... Well, anyway, 
But we hear that from time to time. Again, Paul writes that all Scripture is God-breathed. And along with that, Isaiah says this in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Twelve inches must make one foot. Otherwise, we're all open to others' interpretations and subject to each other's value judgments. And somebody's going to get the short end of the stick, as they say. Amen? Let me say this. I will tell you this. When we become arrogant in presenting the truth, the cause of Jesus Christ suffers and spiritually hungry people are turned off. Do not get arrogant. No doubt all of us have seen that happen at one time or another in our lives where somebody just arrogantly... That's right. Thinking they were so much more righteous and higher than someone else. No, 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 no. That's not godly. We who have received grace and mercy must also show grace and mercy. Amen? However, let's not compromise what the Word of God says. Here's something I found so interesting. In fact, it done my heart good. I just almost got up this morning here and done a happy dance and had a little Pentecostal fit. Because I've been extremely concerned about this next generation coming up. About their mindset, the generation Xers, they've just... The baby boomers, they're about 90% gone over the hill. Not too many of us left. Anyway. They've done a survey. They polled some, the majority of today's young people in between the ages of 16 and 19. Or 16 and 29, I'm sorry. And when they polled this age group, you know what they said? Give it to us straight. Don't mess around. Give it to us straight. And they also said this, if you don't live it, don't give it. If you don't live it, then keep your mouth shut. Well, they said it a little nicer. Now, to me, that's refreshing. And I've, like I said, I've had some concerns regarding the oncoming generation. But bottom line is, God's Word is wholly, solely, fully, and completely altogether truth from cover to cover. Amen. So be faithful to the Scriptures. I'm closing just momentarily. So let me ask you this. Who are you depending on? In two days, my, I'll tell you, my heart is just... I'm really, really disturbed over the way things might go. <clears throat> That's right. That's the one consoling fact we have, my friend. That's all in God's hands. The thing Sister Goldsbury used this morning out of the bulletin. Regardless, it's all in His hands. But who are you depending on? So, the word of the Lord records in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12. 
there is a way that seems right to man, but the, its end is the way of death. There's a way that seems right to man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. I didn't write it. And if anyone should know, Solomon should know. There's a... Let me share this whole story with you. There's a broken rope on display at the Alpine Museum in Bern, Switzerland. And the reason it's on display there, it's associated with a real tragic story. Some climbers who had scaled the Matterhorn, and as climbers do, they when they start their descent, they rope themselves together. Several of them. Well, probably a dozen, half a dozen or so, maybe more than that. They'll rope themselves together, and they will all begin to make their descent. The reason being is as they're making their descent, if a guy up here or a couple of guys in between or whatever, or somebody down below loses their footing, they're staked to the mountainside, and when they fall, the rope that has them all linked together will catch them while the others hold them in place and they, they can get back over and get anchored back to the mountain again. And as they were making their descent, one of them slipped and drugged three others with him as he plunged away from the mountain and took them down into the abyss. Now the other climbers, knowing what was taking place and knowing what would happen, together expecting it to halt their companion's fall, they braced themselves for the jerk on the rope. The tug came, they felt it, but much to their horror and their surprise, the rope broke. That linked them together, and they watched in horror as their companions fell into the abyss to their death. Nobody knows why an inferior rope was used for such a hazardous venture. But they do know it wasn't genuine Alpine Club rope, which was guaranteed and distinguished by a little red strand that ran through it. You could identify that it had been certified, guaranteed Alpine climbing rope by the little red strand, and they used inferior rope. Just as reliable equipment is crucial in preparing for life and death adventure of mountain climbing, it is even more essential in preparing for the most important journey that you and I will ever make, the one from here to eternity. You cannot afford to cling to life with the artificial, with the substandard. You better have the genuine goods. Oh, Pastor, you make this sound so scary. I hope so. This is life or death. Who would have dreamed about using an inferior rope? when men's lives hung in the balance. Oh, but it looked good. It looked much like the real thing. 
The only difference was it was never certified. It had never been tested by weight, or at least to the capacity that it should have been. Or it had never been tested for the torque factor that when that rope reaches its end and you got all that weight on it and it stretches out, how far will it stretch before it snaps? There's people out here today staking their lives on the, that that's not genuine. This is the real deal. And I promise you, regardless of what happens next week, if we stick to this word, we will make it to the other side. Let me, let me say this. An anything goes attitude loose connections to the church, casual claims that you're doing your best, and fuzzy notions about God's indulgence won't cut it. Solomon said, and if anyone should know, Solomon should, there is a way which seemeth right unto man. Oh, it seems right. But the ends thereof is the ways of death. And Peter had this to say in the early stages of the church as we know it today. In Acts chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, he said, And this, talking about Jesus, is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 